Hey Joe, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Um, just looking out the window, a bit of rain in Bristol, but um, other than that, really good. Oh, it was really fun actually. I've like always obviously been aware of like the UK Run Chat Hour, but I'd never kind of participated in one to be honest. And it was re it was really nice to just like chat for an hour and it I felt like yeah there were so many like nice stories and it was really positive actually yeah really really enjoyed it I'll definitely join in other times yeah so yeah like really lovely um like yeah I put one of my questions was who is people's kind of like favorite person to run with or do they prefer to run solo and people send in pictures of like their running gangs and buddies and it was just yeah it was really lovely um really positive Yeah, I just, um, literally, it's just been announced seven minutes ago um, that my book, Coasting, has been long-listed for the William Hill Sports Book of the Year Prize, which I think is the biggest sports book award, well, in the world, um, and which just feels mad because I, we entered it a few months ago, and I just really, as I'm sure we'll go into over the interview, like, I just really wasn't sure my book would be, like, sporty enough. Like, there's a lot of books by, like, you know, elite footballers and stuff, and I was like, oh, just me going for a jog around the coast. So yeah, really excited. I think I just always kind of grew up thinking that sport as in the traditional sense was something that other people do, does, other people do, I guess. And I just, yeah, never really, um, yeah, definitely. Did, um, yeah, we'll definitely talk about this, but I definitely like, wasn't a sporty kid or anything. Um, so yeah, it was, and, but I think like that's what needs to shift really isn't it that sport's something that everyone can do and you don't have to be the best and you don't have to be winning races to get involved so um yeah quite excited thanks yeah pretty good Wednesday morning th Thursday morning good news from Thursday morning <laughs> July yeah so we're nearly three months now Yeah. Oh, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, I so I was twenty three. I just finished university. Um, and I, I was work, living in London, working for a startup, and I'd done a bit of running. Like I'd just done a half marathon and yeah I'd kind of recently taken up running but I really wasn't an experienced ultra runner by any means which to be honest I think if I knew now if I knew then what I know now I never would have been brave enough ignorance was definitely bliss um and I think I just I didn't even I didn't really realize I just didn't know this world of like ultra runners and multi-day runners and people doing these mad adventures really existed even um so yeah I just finished university I was working at a startup in London and I was feeling quite miserable, to be honest. Like, I just, I didn't love, I hated where I lived. I had a terrible boyfriend. My job was, like, fine and my colleagues were great, but it was a bit boring. And I just remember thinking, oh, I just was feeling a bit down about the fact I'd, like, finished uni and this was my life. Very cliched, but, you know, I was like, 
And then I was literally sitting at work one day looking at a map to see if we could deliver something to a customer. And I just this idea of going round the coast of Britain kind of popped into my mind. And I thought, oh, I wonder if anyone has like cycled it, walked it or anything like that. And I did a bit of research and it turned out people had cycled and had walked, but nobody seemed to have really run. And at the time I was I'd started kind of following online people like Anna McNuff, who was running the length of New Zealand at the time and doing these kind of adventures. And I just thought, oh, like, well, if those people can do these things, perhaps I could have a go. I totally overlooked the fact that, like, Anna McNuff is the, an ex-GB rower, the daughter of two Olympians, and was probably starting from a bit of a different athletic starting point to me. But um, I was like, oh, they're just people. I could have a go at this. And it seemed like a good excuse to quit my job, leave my flat, um, leave this awful relationship that I was in did like a bit of a catch-all solution so and it just got aspired from there really I started telling people this was in the March of 2015 yeah started to tell people about it and then it got to the point where I told so many people that I was like I'm gonna have to have a go now so in November I yeah moved to a flat share at the end of the tube line to save some money got a bit won an adventure grant and got a bit of sponsorship money from the company I was working for and six months later found myself on the start line ready to have a go wondering what on earth I'd let myself in for honestly when I first had the idea I think I thought I'd maybe do it in like a couple of years um and then somebody was like no if you're gonna do it a friend you have to do it in six months and I think that to think, yeah, if I'd waited two years, I I never ever would have gone. So I think that was good advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, and all my friends seemed kind of, and I'm sure perhaps they weren't, but I'm sure all my friends seemed quite excited to be like launching their careers as it was. And I was just like, I just don't know what to do. And I think I just felt so miserable, like sitting in it. I had, yeah, I worked at a startup. It was quite full on. I was working quite long hours. And I was like, I can't believe that I sit at this desk all day. I, I re really wasn't earning very much money at the time. And I was spending it all on living in a too expensive flat um and I was like this is just, just so miserable <laughs> and I think I just couldn't really think about like alternatives to things I might have liked to do that would be a bit more interesting a bit less time sitting at a desk or whatever and I was like this is just not all it cracked up to be yeah you're meant to I think you're it, everyone thought I'd be quite excited but I was like I'm not excited <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's never too late. <laughs> yeah, so I was obviously going around the coast. I'm I'm from Northampton, so middle of the Midlands. I think pretty much the furthest place from the coast in the whole of the UK. Um, so I didn't, it's not like I was from near the coast and I would, would have started in my hometown. So I wasn't really sure where to start, to be honest. And then, but I was living in London at the time and you do have to go quite far up the Thames estuary to cross the Thames 
which which uh, wherever you start and finish so I decided I might as well just actually start and finish in London I think it added about 20 miles onto the whole thing compared to crossing a bit further out I think you can cross at Gravesend so which over the grand scheme of it wasn't much so I decided to start and finish in London um, and I picked the Greenwich Maritime Museum because I was on a Sunday walk with a friend and they said, oh, the Maritime Museum, that's related to the sea. Why don't you start there? So I thought, oh, yeah, might as well. And Greenwich is obviously kind of out to the east, so it didn't add too much mileage on coming into central London. Um, And I decided to start on November the 1st um, because, like I said, somebody, a a lot of this plan was just informed by other people saying, you should do it like this. And I didn't know what I was doing. So I was like, okay, I'll do it like that. Um, November the 1st, because it was about six months after I'd had the idea, which I thought would be enough time to get some funds together. I was wrong about that. I completely ran out of money. But, you know, I naively thought that that would be the case. And although it probably seems a bit stupid starting like staring down the barrel of an English, a British winter. Um, I actually think in hindsight, because it was, it took 10 months in the end, which is roughly what I thought it would. And I think the only other, the only way to do it really is I guess I could have started in like March or February and got rid of the like real worst of the winter, but that would have involved then kind of going through summer and then coming back into autumn and winter, which I think mentally like would have been really hard. I think actually it was quite good that I got the hard bit out of the way and then it just sort of got better and better as the days got longer and stuff. So although I didn't quite plan it like that, I think actually I chose a good time of year looking back um and yeah so I set off from Greenwich on the 1st of November I like I said I was following people like Anna McNuff um who's doing this adventure in New Zealand and she seemed to be running about 15 to 20 miles a day and that so I, I roughly went on that basis that I'd be able to do that um so I thought it would take about 10 months which works out about 17 miles a day um and in the end, I ended up doing quite a lot less at the beginning. And then the mileage really increased as I kind of got fitter and more used to it. So it wasn't like you sometimes see people doing these kind of things and they're doing like 30, 40, 50 miles a day every day. And I definitely wasn't definitely wasn't doing that. Um, wasn't fit enough for that. Um, so, yeah, I set, set off November the 1st and my first leg was 17 miles from London to Dartford in Kent um not the most scenic and then kind of made my way clockwise around from there (laughs) yeah so that was that's what I chose to go clockwise so that I could be south for the winter and then up in the north for the summer and around Scotland because I didn't really fancy the Scottish Highlands in the middle of winter (laughs) So Christmas Day, I was in Cornwall and I had this thing, even though obviously I was in the UK, I could have so easily just gone home for Christmas. But I had this real thing that I couldn't go home because I was on an adventure and it would be cheating and I had to stay. So I was lucky that a friend of mine lived in Cornwall and she invited me to spend Christmas with her family, which was really lovely. Um, But then I actually my one and only kind of injury spell was over that period. So I ended up taking a week off after Christmas anyway. So I could have just, and then I went home because I was like, there's no point me staying here, spending loads of money. I might as well just go home for a week. So I ended up going home the week after Christmas. So I should have just gone home for Christmas. But I had a really nice Christmas with Megan in Cornwall. Yeah, exactly. And there are quite a few bits like 
for instance, there's, a, there's the southwest coast path, which I followed from Dorset all the way around to Somerset, and then picked up the Wales coast path, which goes the whole way around Wales. So especially those first few bits, it, the like, infrastructure around the coast is actually great, really well signposted, loads of resources. Um, so the route finding around there was fairly easy. Well, so I'd say I've, I feel like all the bits had different difficulties. So I think in the winter, the main issue was just that it was just so it was dark at four o'clock. And I don't know if other people probably don't remember the storms of 2015 in quite the way I do. But we had a really stormy winter. I think that was when we started naming storms. So there was like we were at the beginning of the alphabet. So there was like Storm Barney, Storm Desmond. I remember them all. It was, yeah, it was this, it was like a particularly stormy winter. Um, it was, and it was just so muddy the whole time. And I just remember thinking, I'm never, ever going to have dry feet. Like my feet are going to be wet for the rest of eternity. Um, but luckily they weren't. And then as I kind of, and also that the terrain around there, like if anyone's ever done much running on the Southwest Coast Path around kind of Dorset, Devon, Cornwall, it's very hilly um and when it's muddy it's also very slippery so I think it was yeah definitely threw myself in at the deep end a bit there but I did just I a lot of the time at the beginning I really wasn't running like crazy miles like there'd be a lot of days I was doing sort of 10 miles even a bit less and then I did sort of very gradually increase so I kind of as the time went on I got a bit fitter and the weather got a bit better um and it kind of did feel like yeah it was getting a lot easier <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. The Lynn Peninsula was one of my highlights. It was great. Yeah. It was just, um, it was just really like, it feels like really, it's quite remote and wild around that compared to some of the bits of the Welsh coast. And I think it was, it would have been kind of, I think it was April that I was there and the weather was start maybe May, March, I mean, but the weather was starting to get a bit better. And I just remember the Lynn Peninsula being great. <laughs> Uh, my my preparation was absolutely appalling. Um, so honestly, although I I kind of stand by it. So basically, I at the point that I decided to off and do this thing, I'd done one absolutely disastrous marathon. Where I was dressed as a Crayola crayon. I cried for like eight miles. A small child called me the crying crayon. It was really awful. I've got some. I got I bought the race pictures of, from that race a few months ago actually and they are really funny I look so miserable and I'm just dressed as a crayon most miserable crayon you've ever seen and I like and I really yeah I really hadn't done much I wasn't like a seasoned marathon runner by any point um but I entered I think I, I was reading a lot about I was reading a lot of blogs with people doing ultra running and stuff and it just seemed kind of magical and I was like oh maybe yeah maybe this is something I could have a go at um, and I entered a ultra race in the September just before I was setting off. Um, and I, my logic was I've got six months. I can like really try and train for this race. I'll finish that. And then I'll be kind of fit enough to start the coast. But I was just, I was just useless. Life got in the way. I didn't really do any training. The race was a disaster. 
I pulled out at like the marathon mark, cried in a graveyard. It was terrible. And their friend, and my friends, I was running with my friend Sophie, um, and her boyfriend afterwards was like, I literally don't know why you think you're going to be able to run around the country when you couldn't even bother to train for this one race. And it was a very valid point. Um, I think I just thought he's right. <laughs> and then but I think what I kind of knew in the back of my mind, even if I couldn't have like, I not consciously was obviously if you're going to do like a, a day or even a race or even like a multi-day race over a few days, you have to really hit the ground running. You've got that one day to get it done, haven't you? And you need to be prepared on that start line. Whereas I really, because I, I didn't really, I thought it'd take about 10 months, but I didn't really mind if it did or it, it didn't really matter how long it took. Um, I just, I did have the time to kind of really train on the job. And I think, although I could have prepared better, and I think like, you know, yeah, doing some strength work, being a bit fitter would have probably been an advantage. In some ways, I think if I'd done enough training to, for instance, on the start line, be able to run an easy 30 miles, I would have like already been been kind of a bit fatigued by that point from that training. So I didn't, and I didn't, I didn't need to be able to run 30 miles on day one. I just kind of needed to keep plodding along. So I basically did very little training, which but because there was so much time to play with, I really could train on the job in a way that you obviously can't if you're doing like a single or week long race. I wouldn't recommend that strategy for like, yeah, doing shorter, but it did seem to work okay. And I think especially it kind of worked well because because the conditions were just so rubbish and I was going so slowly. Like I was obviously I was wearing this back, carrying all my stuff on my back. I was walking up all the hills. It was so muddy that I was sliding down them like the intensity of what I was covering was really low, even if like I was clocking up more miles, if that makes sense. It wasn't like I was trying to go out and run a really hard 20 miles on the road every day from the start, which obviously would have broken me on that little training. Yeah, and I think it is just, I think also that it's just a case of kind of joining up lots of runs in a row and then you've gone a long way. Like I didn't, I didn't need to be like the best runner or the most spectacularly athletic fit person in the world. I just needed to every day cover a few miles and link them up in a long chain. Yeah. Yeah, so the plan was to camp because I knew that I wouldn't be able to afford to do it otherwise. Like there was no way I would have been able to save up enough money to kind of stay in a B and B or a host even a hostel every night. Um so the plan was to camp and also I think I just thought, well, I'm going on an adventure. That's what you do on an adventure. You camp. Um so I have my stuff in my backpack. I know often when people do running adventures they use a buggy, but because of the kind of terrain I was hoping to cover, that wouldn't have really it wouldn't have worked at all. So I had a backpack. Um but and it ended up just completely by chance to be honest I started I'd made kind of a Facebook page and a blog mostly just to kind of keep my family and friends up to date really and I started posting these like video blogs and they were just like 
one take 30 second me talking to a camera about my day basically because I found that was when I was really tired that was a lot less that was a lot easier than like trying to like write something about the day so I started posting these video blogs and for for whatever reason people kind of seemed to quite like them and more people started to like the Facebook page probably helped by my brother spamming every single running forum on Facebook and being my like personal PR guide yeah because I never would have done that myself he was great um and so people started to kind of watch these videos and through like like people from that who followed me and then friends of friends or friends of friends of friends and local running clubs, people kept offering me places to stay. And in the end, I didn't camp at all over the winter. And then even after that, I wasn't camping loads. And especially in the winter, I was so lucky, like some B&Bs and hostels and hotels when they were quiet, especially, and they all had empty rooms under the winter, gave me a bed for the night. And I really think that if I'd actually had to camp all the time, like I thought I would, I don't think there's any way I would have finished it. Like I, I really don't. And meeting all those people were just such a like, like people were just so like kind and welcoming they were opening their homes to me and letting me read their kids bedtime stories and doing my laundry and it became such a big part of it um so yeah if if I'd had to actually do the winter camping that I thought I would I really don't think I ever would have made it round yeah it was literally two like two days in I think it was the second night yeah the first night I stayed at a hotel in Dartford with my parents and then I think the second night because I knew obviously and especially like when I got up to the highlands of Scotland and stuff it was a lot easier to camp because I was I was quite scared about running around Scotland because I thought it'd be really wild and remote but actually it was easy because it's so much more geared up for doing that kind of thing and actually I found it was more built up places like around the south that are a bit more difficult and obviously like it's a lot harder to just sort of fling your tent up in the outskirts of London somewhere and I think especially yeah like didn't necessarily feel that safe doing that so but it was actually the third so before I started the summer before I went away I'd started going to quite a lot of stuff with the Yes tribe in London who were like uh, quite small at the time quite big now sort of adventure community and um and it, I started I just saw an advert on Facebook for like a Friday night camp out and I was like um great I'll go along to that it'd be really good to meet some people who are doing this sort of stuff because at the time my friends weren't really interested in adventure things and I met all these great people and someone I met through that basically put me in touch with a friend of a friend so on the third night I stayed with them and actually the Yes Tribe were a huge part of forming that like network of people as I went around but it was it was so like I just couldn't believe how kind and great people were and when I was doing it it was it was 2016, it was in the lead up to the kind of Brexit referendum. And all this stuff on the news was just everybody like being so horrible to each other. And it was, and all this like blame throwing, it was just horrible. But then every single night I was staying with completely different, but equally as kind of kind people. And I was like, I just can't help but think you'd all like each other if you just met each other. Not, not for the book at all. I did, I wrote a few blog posts. Um, and then, yeah, I posted these videos pretty much every day in the end, to be honest. Um, but I didn't, I'd, so the book, I'd, I'd actually had an email from Debbie, who ended up being my editor, 
um, while I was running saying that she had read my blog and had a thought about writing a book. And I, I'd always wanted to write a book. I was so excited to get this email. And I was like, yeah, like this, this is the dream. Like this would be great. And then when I finished the run, I kind of kept in touch with her and I kept saying I was writing something, but I wasn't. And then the sort of years passed by. And then it was last year that I sort of sheepishly dug out our 2017 email thread. I was like, hey, Debbie, I've actually started writing. Any chance you'd still be interested in hearing a proposal? Um, but to, to as part of the book writing process, so I wrote it all last year. I went through, and which was really cringy but re-watched all of those videos and made so so useful I honestly don't think I would have been able to write a book without them because there were just so many bits that I'd completely forgotten about or like I think it all would have been so vague without them because they like gave me the they reminded me of like quite specific things I like felt or thought or that happened and so I made this big spreadsheet basically of every single day and put in some where I went, where I started, where I went to, who I stayed with and some notes. And without those videos, I don't think I ever would have been able to write the book. Yeah, people, people did join me to run um, fa fairly regularly, but I, I did find it like, I, I, lo I loved people coming along and I really liked sharing the journey and it was especially great when it was like somebody who like yeah like a few times I stayed with people from local running clubs and they were so excited to kind of show me their like local stomping ground and it was great but I definitely did feel quite a lot of pressure when people came to run with me because I think especially after a few months I kind of got into the swing of it and I knew what sort of pace I could run at which was slow all the time and how often I needed to stop and like, and I started to feel a bit more confident in my ability to run the distances I needed to and cover that but then when other people came along it just felt like a lot of pressure to sort of like give them a good day almost even though I don't think they wanted that from me I just completely made that up but I just really had in my head that I had to like give them this great experience and then sometimes people would turn up and they'd look really runnery and I'd think oh no you're just gonna think I'm fraud and so I think I quite liked in the end running on my own a lot, but then having the like sharing experience with people when I was staying with them in the evenings. Um, and it, it, yeah, nobody ever like nobody else ever reinforced this pressure. It was always just in my head. But I was just like, "You're real runners, and you're gonna catch me out." <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think also even just like I've definitely had this as well, just like running with somebody else on like a single day, like ultra marathon or even just like a long run. I think your energy levels don't like ebb and flow at different times, don't they? And it can be difficult to match to match someone, I think. And I always felt like I know that I need to like, you know, keep this quite low intensity so that I have energy tomorrow. But then I always felt like, oh, I need to keep up with you. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah, so definitely something I thought about a lot and also that you kind of get asked about a lot. Um, and I think I I always think about it in terms of like, I've and I've definitely experienced the heckling and whatever, but so much more when I'm just like, I live, well, I live in Bristol now, I used to live in London, when I'm just running around the city than when you're kind of out on a coast path and nobody's there. So that side of things wasn't quite as bad but I definitely I had a few things that I like did to try and keep safe so for instance the people I stayed with I wouldn't just like stay with anyone I generally I'm I mostly try to only stay with people if it was like a friend of a friend or there was kind of some connection there not just a total stranger being honest I did mostly decline any offers from kind of lone men just I'm sure most people had completely like altruistic intentions but just you know just in case and I much preferred mostly stay with like yeah families and stuff and often people would message me on Facebook to arrange so you could kind of stalk them a bit and see that they were just a family who were part of the local running club and whatever um and I avoided yeah <laughs> research and then I would always avoid putting I generally like I'd put, post by like blogs and stuff a day behind I, I tried to avoid posting exactly where I was at any given time and also you I know often people have like trackers so you can see exactly where they are I didn't have one of those because that made me feel really uncomfortable I had like a check-in time with my dad at six o'clock every day and if he hadn't heard from me he would have said he would have like you know been worried I guess um and so we did a few things like that but I think the reality is like and my dad always actually talks about the lot, like he he does a lot of outdoors and stuff. And people have been at a few talks that my dad's been at, and people have asked him if he was worried. And firstly, he's like, Well, I don't know what me being worried would have stopped her. So, but he always says that he's much more worried about me when I call him and I'm walking home late at night from the pub than when I was like out on a coast path where, although it seems a bit eerie, actually you're on your own nobody's really out there so I think you do have to kind of weigh up that like I always think about like perceived versus real risk if that makes sense but um yeah so I think but yeah it's definitely something you have to think about a lot and I think I I definitely spoke to kind of male friends who have done adventures and stuff and they'll talk about meeting a random man in the pub who says oh do you want somewhere to stay for the night and they've gone back and had this like great night at his house and I personally would never have done that and I always like prearranged stuff in advance. So yeah, I told my dad where I was going every night, who I was staying with. Um, and yeah, so I did a few things like that, but it definitely is an added layer of stuff you have to think about. But then I do always think, and it, I'm always a bit where I'm saying this because I, I, in absolutely no way does this kind of mitigate all the negatives and the risks that I guess being a woman carries. But I do think in some ways like, it's such a privilege to be welcomed into people's homes. And I was obviously a very unthreatening twen- young 20s, have blonde plaits. And I don't know that like, if I'd been kind of a man would quite as many people, especially families, have, like welcome me into their home. And I'm, I'm not sure they would have. So I guess in some ways, maybe there's a positive. Not that it outweighs the risk in any way, but I do definitely feel like it's a privilege to be that so many people felt comfortable to have me in their homes.
didn't see any dolphins, but my parents came to visit at one point when I was somewhere in Scotland and they did see some dolphins and I was really annoyed that I missed them. Um, but quite a lot of seals. Like I did not realise how many seals there were around. And every time I saw a seal, I just got really excited. <laughs> and I did have this one really magical moment. I was on the coast path coming out of uh, uh, Lynmouth and Linton and on the Exmoor coast path. And I was, the, the coast path there is like really like cut into quite a steep cliff that like really drops and rises on either side. And this herd of Exmoor ponies just came charging towards me. And I was like, well, I'm going to die, aren't I? Like, I, there's nowhere I can go. There's a cliff on one side and like a sheer upwards on the other. I was like, there's nowhere for me to go. And then they just, because obviously they're so amazing on that terrain, they just parted round me on this coast path and charged round me. And I just, like the Red Sea, and I just couldn't believe it. I was like, and I was stood there in awe for about 10 minutes after that. So that was my best animal encounter. It was just magical. Well, it, it felt like full pelt. Maybe, <laughs> I'm not sure how fast I'm going. Maybe like eight, 10? I don't know. Yeah, honestly, I was like, this is it. It's over for me. And then they just like parted and like I felt the bristles on my arms. <laughs> I was like, this is madness. So yeah, that was definitely a highlight. Yeah, I finished back in Greenwich, um, in Greenwich Park. It was on August Bank holiday weekend. Pretty much bang on 10 months in the end. But I think, to be honest, that became a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, by the end, I just I was kind of ready to be done. And I sort of worked out how far I needed to run each day to get back for that time. So that was less good planning and more just, yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> I've got to say I didn't really ever solve that problem and when I finished I I think the number one thing I'd say to anybody thinking about doing anything like this is to factor in a kind of coming home fund because I finished and I had I had literally not a penny to my name I was really lucky that I could go and stay with my parents and I like, had somewhere to sleep obviously but I had absolutely no money and I was just like well what do I do now and I did I kind of I'd done a few like talks and stuff but I think I really I just didn't want to go down the route of trying to be like a full-time adventurer. I just thought that wasn't really for me. Um, and so I ended up, I took I did, took a bit of contract work with actually my old manager from before I went back in London at a different startup, ended up moving back to London and basically kind of spent a year doing exactly the same as I had before and feeling a bit miserable again and thinking, what was all that for? But then after that point, I definitely, from then I've, I worked at a few different walking charities and sports events companies. And I think largely through doing this adventure, I have managed to move my kind of career, I guess, towards doing that stuff that I'm interested in. But I think the main thing that I took from doing it was that, like, I don't know, I just think this, like, I just love being outside in a way that 
I find it kind of hard to explain sometimes, but I'm sure everybody else who likes being outside gets the same thing, where everything just like makes a bit more sense when you're like out running on a trail or whatever it is. And I think there's something really nice about running that like when you're out and like a hard trail run and you're absolutely dying and it's really hard and there's somebody else next to you feeling the same, kind of doesn't matter like who, I think it's a really good leveler. Like it doesn't matter who you are or anything. All you need in that moment is like fuel, rest, whatever it might be. And I think doing this definitely really reinforced how important that was to me and how much it's like, well, anything else that's going on in my life, I can still still always go for a run and you can fit a lot of that around like having a nine to five job and a normal life like until I went I went freelance a year ago but for the four years before that I had yeah nine to five Monday to Friday job with four or five weeks holiday every year I managed to fit in a lot of weekend and holidays adventures and you don't have to quit your job and go do something big to do a lot of that Yeah, I love saying this. You can get it at all good bookshops. Um, so yeah, like Waterstones, Amazon, like I like, always encourage people to shop at their independence if they can. I think, yeah, most local independent bookshops can order any book in you want, even if they don't have it in stock. So yeah, all the regular places. The audio book's out now as well, so people can listen to it while they're on their runs, which I always like the idea of. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it was really nice to chat. And thanks for having me on the UK Run Chat hour yesterday.